On May 27, 1992, there was a young man by the name, or not a young man, but an older man by the name of Vedran Smoljevich, who heard an explosion, and when he did, he went running from where he lived to a nearby bakery to discover that that bakery had been, um, been bombed. He was in Sarajevo, and uh, the bombing of Sarajevo had begun, and Smoljevich uh, was the leading cellist in the uh, Sarajevo Orchestra. And so the very next day, Smoljevich grabbed a, a chair. He went to that bomb site, and he sat his chair there on that bomb site. He took his uh, cello, and he began to play. And you will see the image of that on the screen of uh, his playing that uh, cello on that very site where the day before it had been bombed. As a matter of fact, uh, for the next 22 days, Smoljevich went to that same site. He sat there and played his cello in memory and honor of the 22 people who had died there uh, on that day in 1992. He would go on to play his cello in the most unlikely places. He played it at cemeteries. He played it for funerals. He played it on some of the worst days in Sarajevo. And he did so because he was convinced that the beauty of the music could in some way combat uh, the uh, battle. And that's what he did. Ezekiel finds himself in a very similar situation. Ezekiel is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah and Israel have split, and Israel has been carried away by the Assyrians already 130 years prior. And now Judah, which is uh, where Jerusalem is, uh, Judah is carried away uh, by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel uh, is carried away with uh, 10,000 other exiles, and they find themselves in northern Mesopotamia. Uh, they're north of the Euphrates River, uh, settled there, long ways away from their people. And we read that history, or perhaps you hear it this morning, and, and we've heard so many things in our lives, and now we see so many things on television that we're honestly desensitized to uh, grave news, but it was grave news for Judah because this is how it went down. Judah um, had a king by the name of Zedekiah, and Zedekiah was the last king of Judah, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar came storming in with his armies, and when he did, he took Zedekiah, and he took Zedekiah's sons, and we think ISIS is bad. Think about this. He took Zedekiah's sons and he marched Zedekiah's sons in front of him. He executed every one of them while their father watched. And then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes. So that would be the last memory that he had. What if you woke up this morning to the news that during the night, 
Our country had been invaded. The president's child had been killed while he watched. His eyes were gouged out, and they had gone through the country pulling the best and the brightest CEOs and, and university professors and business people, and everything as we knew it had changed, and uh, you uh, were completely caught off guard by this. That's how Judah felt. That's how the residents of Judah felt at this gruesome thing that had unfolded. It was not a good day. And Ezekiel, who was a priest, he served in the temple when the temple was raided. They grabbed him. At the age of 30, he was called to the prophetic ministry. They grabbed him and took him with him. And he's a long ways from home, and he so wants uh, to, to understand what God is up to in all of this that is going on. It is quite confusing. And he comes to a place that you will come to at some point in your life in which you wonder where God is and what is God up to. And you struggle to hear his voice in the middle of the trial or the crisis that you're facing. You will get to that point someday. Or perhaps... You look at somebody in your life and you have prayed for them. You have sought God for them. You have gone to God time and again for this person in your life who is lost. It's a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, and you think there's no hope. I've prayed all I can pray. I've said all I can say. I don't think there's any hope for my lost family member or for my lost friend. I give. And you see absolutely no future, no hope, no possibility. You feel hopeless. Hopelessness will kill you. If you ever think there's no future, you're in bad trouble. And so Ezekiel is preaching to a group of exiles. He's prophesying to them when the hand of the Lord came upon him. And that phrase occurs repeatedly in the book of Ezekiel. And every time, God is about to thunder through and speak and say something pretty profound. And so the hand of the Lord came upon me, he said, and God transported me by the Spirit to a valley of dry bones. From this encounter, we discover three characteristics of God that you need to jot down this morning. You will need these. You need to tuck these away. You need to stick these uh, on your smartphone, in your planner, however it may be. Here they are. Number one, God sees what we can't see. God sees what we can't see. The hand of the Lord was upon me, he said, and he brought me out to this valley, uh, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. He led me around among them. You remember I told you Ezekiel was a priest, and a priest could do many things, but one thing a priest could never do was to touch a dead body. And here is Ezekiel, this priest of the Lord, walking around among dry bones. What is that a picture of? Well, uh, God is calling Ezekiel to definitely leave his comfort zone. But if we 
Fast forward just a few hundred years, we'll find that God at Christmas time invaded humanity's space with his own son, Jesus Christ, who was born like us, who was tempted in every way like you and I are, uh, yet without sin. And God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You could say in a word that Jesus Christ walked around uh, in the valley of dry bones and heard the clanking of your own bones as you, not yet born, would be born into sin when you were born. God got dirty. Jesus became unclean. It was the reason he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This valley of dry bones. Ezekiel walked around among them. Why were they there? Later, they're referred to as those who were slain. Most likely, they're casualties from Nebuchadnezzar's war uh, on Judah. That's most likely the reason these bones are there. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah called this, he said to the people, if you will not turn from God, this is what he's going to do. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence, to famine, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says, you've lied. I'll skip down. He says, your dead bodies will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And so it had happened, and Judah lay there. And uh, Ezekiel says there were very many of them, and they were very dry. And God looks at him and asks him a question. And here's the question, can these bones live? God says, can these bones live? It's a legitimate question. And I want to address it to you in two ways. There are some of you who this morning feel like you're lying in that valley. You feel because of the circumstances in your life that you are hopeless and lifeless and incapable of making it. And God is looking at you this morning and saying, can these bones live? There are others of you who are here this morning And you have a brother or a sister, a dad or a mom. Maybe it's a son or a daughter, a a nephew, a niece, a co-worker, a husband, a wife. You have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed. And you look out at them and you think, there's no hope. I've prayed all I know to pray. I've said all I know to say. There's no hope. And God is looking at you and he says, can these bones live? Can these bones live? She come to Christ. Can he come to Christ? Is there hope for him? Is there hope for her? Is there a hope and a future, a possibility for this person? I love Ezekiel's response. What is it? Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel says, I don't know. I mean, buried underneath that response is, 
mm, don't know. I don't know, God. I, I really don't know. There's a lot of doubt in, oh, Lord God, you know. It's like, <laughs> you, you answer that, God. I don't know. You answer that question. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, uh, I, I must admit, I preached in multiple settings to different groups of people. I preached to people incarcerated. I preached in Latin America. I preached in uh, Africa. I preached to some of you who evidently didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. I've uh, preached to multiple people in multiple locations, but never have I been called to a cemetery to preach to bodies. Ezekiel stands over that valley of bones, and God says, Speak to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones don't have ears. How is it that dry bones can hear? If it's on the dry bones to hear, we got trouble. Amen? It isn't. It's on the word to penetrate the dry bones. That's where the onus lies in all of this. If the word can penetrate, uh, it doesn't matter what's lying in the valley. If the word is the word. Notice what Isaiah 55 says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Here's the reality. God's word can penetrate dry bones. Amen? That's what Isaiah says. God looks at Ezekiel and says, preach to dry bones. Not because there's anything in dry bones that can hear, but there's everything in the Word that can make dry bones hear. The power is in the Word. Zach Antill is sitting here this morning. Zach was in my preaching class last semester along with a few other students. And in preaching class, you eventually preach. All right, so that's the point. And it was the last day that we were going to preach, and to Zach and the other students' chagrin, I sent a note, uh, an email to the entire faculty and the student body, inviting them to come to the chapel of the prodigal to hear these student preachers. And so they were to preach a 20-minute sermon, and it was preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher preaching. And once they were all finished, then we'd uh, dismiss all the uh, uh, people who had come to listen and it would just be me and those students, and they had evaluated one another, and we talk about their sermons. That's preaching class. All of us who've been through preaching class, we've been through that. And that's how it works. Now, I remember saying to the students, you never practice preaching. Why? Because it's God's Word. God's Word is God's Word, period. I practice this sermon that I'm preaching right now at 7.30 every morning in the nursery. I step in there, me, four walls, and, and, you know, a colorful carpet, and I preach every Sunday morning. And on more than one occasion, you may find this odd, on more than one occasion in that nursery room, God, through the Spirit, just kind of settles in that place, and it's just Him and me, and I get carried away just like I do up here. 
I get excited and God's word just washes over me. Why? Because God's word is God's word. So that night, it was a cold spring night, and the wind was blowing down through the valley there at Montre, and it was uh, just, just rumbling the rafters uh, in that place where these students were preaching. And one after another, they got up, and they preached, and they preached, and they preached, and they preached. 20-minute sermons, one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then... Folks left. We evaluated at 9 o'clock that night. I headed home. I get an email. And when I do, it's from Zach. And Zach said, Jerry, do you remember the student who was sitting just a few rows back on the left? Yes, I do. He said, as I was leaving class tonight, 9 o'clock, I was walking across campus when he came up beside me in his pickup truck. And he said, would you get in? And Zach got in, and he said, tears were streaming down his face. And he shared with Zach, I've heard all of these stories. But tonight, for the very first time, it became real to me. And I realized I need to give my life to Christ. And Zach led his friend, who had sat through, no offense, Zach, some rough sermons. All right. Some rather, some were good and others were rough and uh, he had sat through those why the word as the rain comes down the word is powerful there will be days in your life when you may not know what to do or where to turn and you will open God's word and when you do the words will dance on the page will they not and God will minister to you and God will speak to you powerfully. God sees what we cannot see. Number two, we learn God redoes what we undo. God redoes what we undo. What happened? Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. What Ezekiel describes there is a reversal of the decomposition process. All right. There are a bunch of bones, and if they're going to come together, they'll have to be connected by sinews, by ligaments, connective tissue. And once that connective tissue is on them, they need flesh. And once that flesh is on them, it needs to be covered with skin. And once it's covered with skin, there needs to be some wind blowing through the body. It is a complete reversal of the decomposition process. Why? Because God specializes in redoing what we undo. On more than one occasion, I've sat with folks in my office who've blown it. They have literally blown it. They have, <clears throat> they have failed. I remember uh, the woman who came to see me just this week, and she said, I don't know why, but my car ended up in the church parking lot. Never attended this church before, to my knowledge. My car ended up in the church parking lot, and I thought, I can't go in there, and I called my mom, and my mom said, you better get in there now. And so her mom called me. We made an appointment. She came in to see me, 
her big question. Can I start all over? Is there life after? Fill in the blank, right? When, when you've blown it, that's the question. That's the question that comes to your mind. And God redoes what we undo. God specializes in taking the messes of our lives and taking the failures of our lives and completely reworking those to produce in us a far more remarkable work than ever we could have done had we not even failed like we did. We now are on our third or fourth Sunday of interpreting, translating uh, our worship service at 9.30 into Spanish. And so exciting. We have a system in now. And this morning, again, in that service, uh, Sulai sat in the back. And we have folks scattered around. And they're wearing headsets. And they're hearing the sermon, the songs, everything in their language. I'll tell you how that ministry came to be. It kind of spun out of some work we did this summer in some of the neighborhoods around here, engaging a lot of the Hispanic community. But there were a couple of movers and shakers. Their names are Chad and Tanya Meese. And Chad and Tanya, God just, Tanya speaks Spanish, gave them a burden, a heart uh, to see this happen. And God just birthed this desire to see this Hispanic ministry grow in them. But I'll tell you, a year and a half ago, if you had said to... (laughs) To Chad Meese, listen, you'll be uh, driving a van and picking up some kids on a Sunday night, and you'll be working. He would have laughed at you. He would have laughed at you. Tanya would have laughed at you too. Never in their wildest imagination would they think that God would use them in such a way. Some of you have seen this, but I want you to see Chad's story and listen to what he has to say about what God has done in his life. So God can take an atheist and turn him into this guy who leads, along with his wife, this this great ministry to Hispanics in this community. How does that happen? God specializes in redoing what we undo. I don't know what you've walked in here with with this morning. I I don't know the, the record that plays through your mind of the sin you've committed 
uh, of the wrong you have done, of where you've blown it. God isn't caught off guard by that. God delights. God is thrilled to take the mess of your life and to shape it into something wonderful. What happens? Let me read verse 7 and 8. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. Wow, I'd like to see a movie of this, wouldn't you? And the bones came together, bone to its bone. That's a miracle right there. These things, you know, vultures have picked them up, and this is gross, but they've scattered them everywhere, and animals have been through that valley, and all of this has happened. And so uh, he says, I prophesied, and and uh, the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but we got a problem. There was no breath in them. If we stop here, we're in trouble. Why? Because this is morbid. It's just a valley full of bodies. Everything's been reconfigured, but there's no breath in them. I would say that many, many people get to this place. They get to this place where they go, okay, that's not what I should do, but they never do. Uh, so, so they look at everything they shouldn't do, and, and, and they say, okay, I'll never drink again, or I, I won't lust again, or I won't do this, I won't do that again. But they never begin to do what it is that God intended them to do instead of that. They stall. It's half-baked repentance. It's this, okay, I know this is who I shouldn't be, but I don't know who I should be. I know this is what I shouldn't do, but I don't know what I should do. I know this is where I shouldn't go, but I don't know where I should go instead. And so here we have this valley full of bodies. And from what happens next, we discover the third essential uh, characteristic of a God who uh, sees what we do not see and redoes what we undo. Number three, God revives what he recreates. God revives what he recreates. Look at this. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. They lived and they stood on their feet. I told you God sees what we don't see. We look out and we see a valley of dry bones. God looks out and he sees an exceedingly great army. God undoes, God redoes what we undo. Uh, and so God undid this, uh, this uh, uh, process of decay and made them into an army. And then finally God revives what he recreates. You say, Jerry, how does this work? Genesis 2, 7, you're familiar with. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth, uh, from the dust uh, uh, of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. When God created Adam, he didn't become a living creature until God breathed into him. You will never, ever live the life that God has intended for you to live until the Holy Spirit is calling the shots. It won't happen. 
you could do better for a while. Some of you are type A. You, you just think, I can overcome anything. And God's given you that personality, but he's going to give you something you can't overcome without him. And when he does, you'll either recognize he's God and w- walk through it with him, or you'll continually come back and lean on yourself again and again and again. What happened? They arose an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. So listen to their song. Listen. They have three verses, three lines. Here's their, their lines. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost, we are cut off. That's what they sing. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are cut off. Through their three-line song, God has a three-line response. And here's what he says back. Uh, To our bones are dried up, he says, I will open your graves. Our hope is lost, I'll raise you from your graves. We indeed are cut off, he says, I will bring you into the land of Israel. So they say, this is us, God says, this is what I'll do. This is my situation, God says, this is what I'll do. This is where I am, God says, this is what I'll do. And God has an answer for wherever it is that you are. Whatever your problem is, God has an answer. Whatever your situation is, God has a solution. Whatever you're going through, God can answer and address and meet your greatest need, whatever it is. Our bones are dried up. God says, I know that. Roll the stone back from the grave. I can handle dry bones. Our hope is lost. God says, I can raise dry bones to life. But we're cut off. God, we're cut off from you. I'll bring you back to your people. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your uh, bones and when I open your graves and raise you from them, O my people. Verse 14, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. We're almost at Christmas time. And there are some of you who know somebody and you've given up on them. And you think about them and you think, dry bones. What do you need to do? Ask God for his vision for that person. Somebody came up to me after the second service or early service today and said, I walked in here and I had given up on my nephew completely given up. I've tried enough. I've prayed enough. I've said enough. I just gave up. Until I heard the sermon. And God says, I haven't given up on him. A few weeks ago, I received a call to go visit Robert Loftus. Robert He's in his 70s, diagnosed with cancer. His uh, 
His daughters are April Moretz and Star Newhouse and Dawn Elliott. Robert, lost without Christ. Many of you know Robert. So I went to visit him, and I sat with Robert, and sure enough, Robert wasn't happy. Strangely enough, what frustrated him most is he couldn't play golf. He said, I'd like to be out playing golf. So I talked with him and shared Christ with him that day, and there wasn't a response to the gospel. I left, I visited him again, and and then in between that second visit and my next visit to him, my last visit to him actually, Chad Moretz, his son-in-law, went and sat down with Robert and shared Christ with him, and Robert gave his life to Christ. Seventy-two years old. His cancer has been hard on him. He's going through chemotherapy and radiation simultaneously. He, he lost lots of weight in, in a two-week period. They had to pull him off of all this regimen and get him, uh, you know, healthy again so he could start treatments again. And so I go to see him last week, and I walk in, and he's sitting over in the corner. must be his favorite chair. He's sitting there. He's got some candy nearby. He always has candy. He's got some candy nearby. He offers me some. Uh, I like candy as much as he does, so I eat some, and we hang out and talk. Talking about different things, and I finally said, Robert, I heard something about you. Wondered if it was true. Did you give your life to Christ? He said, well, yes, I did. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said then, this was the guy who was grumpy and disgruntled that he couldn't go golfing. He said, it's crazy. I couldn't ask for anything more. He said, I'm totally at peace. I have kids who love me, take care of me, my wife. She's good to me. What more could I want? I thought, who are you? You're certainly not the guy I visited a few weeks ago who was disgruntled and frustrated that your life had just come to a screeching halt as you knew it. And so we talked a little bit, and I prayed with him and uh, with Sylvia, and then I headed toward the door, and he got up to walk across the living room and follow me to the door, and he has to walk kind of slow because the cancer's been hard on him, and uh, the treatments have been hard on him, so he walks kind of slowly to the door, and he's thanking me the whole time. Jerry, thank you so much for coming. Keep up the good work you're doing out there. Thank you so much, and I get to the door. I'm walking down kind of a long wheelchair ramp in front of his uh, uh, house. And as I'm walking down, he's saying stuff to me all the way down. And so uh, then he gets quiet, and I'm almost to the end when I hear him, uh, and, and he's a man's man, all right, when I hear him say, Jerry, and I turned around and he said, I love you. I thought, who are you? And I said, I love you too, Robert. How is it? How is it? This frustrated, lost man 
who didn't follow God for 72 years can be changed just like that. To where that he's looking at other grown men and telling them he loves them. How many people do you think gave up on him? How easy would it be to give up on a guy who's lived a whole life apart from God? How gracious is it that God loves Robert? Amen. Oh, you and I have no clue what he'll do with the rest of his life. We have no clue how long that'll last, do we? Here's what we know. There's an awesome God. Where somebody else saw dry bones, he saw a colonel in his army. And that he, at the age of 72, would raise him up. To be a brand new man. Yesterday, uh, this morning, after the first service, this 12-year-old kid came up to me, 12 years old, and he said, I know earlier in my life I gave my life to Christ, but then my mom and dad split up. And when they did, I got mad. but I'm coming back. whole time I preached, he was glued. Glued. Some of you this morning are coming home. We're going to sing, You Need Christ. Would you bow your heads? Say, Jerry, how can I know this Christ you're talking about? You got to admit your your dry bones. The only people God raises from the dead are those who are dead. If you never get to that place, you'll never receive forgiveness, new life. Then you got to believe that Jesus came down and walked around among sinners. And without sinning himself, took on your sin. And then you trust by faith Jesus. Oh, it's not a fancy prayer. I don't quite remember the words I said that night when I was 15 years old on a Tuesday night. But I know that when I bowed, I was lost and far away. And when I got up, I was home. And so if that's you, this altar is open. I'll be down here. Please come. God's leading you to join this church family. Obey him this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship. Respond.